Welcome to Wild Quincy, a podcast that looks into the little-known and forgotten past of Quincy, Illinois. Back in the late 1800s, Quincy had one of these on every corner. Well, at least near the riverfront. No, it wasn't bars or churches, it was brothels. In this episode, we take a look at the world's oldest profession in the Quincy area with historian Iris Nelson. That, coming up next. Now, here's your host, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Well, Travis, we get past uh, talking about lost cemeteries and we go to uh, something else that's been, well, maybe lost in time. And we'll tell you about that in a little bit. But uh, first of all, how you doing, man? Doing well, man. How about yourself? Oh, not too bad. Uh, you know, we our last cemeteries episode last uh, last uh, two weeks ago was uh, pretty well received and seemed like it uh, got a lot of uh, interest. And uh, not only did it get interest, but we got listener mail from it. So, did you have some some info that we we didn't we didn't know? Maybe. Yeah, sure. There was quite a bit of feedback over the various channels. One being email, and uh, Mark uh, gave us an email. We talked to Mark before. And he said, hi, enjoyed listening to your cemetery episode. A few things come to mind. I live on Hampshire between 18th and 20th, but on the north side of the street, so our house wouldn't have been built over any graves. But you wondered about paranormal. We have had two incidents. Nothing frightening, but weird of but weird of uh, smelling pipe tobacco burning in the house. It definitely was that smell, uh, no if, ifs, ands, or buts, but they had no explanation. The other, uh, the other was when he was on. Fa- they were on Facebook at the You Grew Up in Quincy site, and saw a post from uh, I guess a couple across the street, and I guess it's a brownish ranch style house built around 1960. It was built by uh, Duke Duke Curran, who was a pretty well known uh, figure in Quincy. He'd been a multi sport athlete at Notre Dame. The post but was by one of his children who claimed that when they were doing the excavation work for the foundation, they actually found human bones. Uh, yeah, Mr. Kieran called the police who came out and investigated it. It was finally concluded that there were probably bones from the cemetery that had been there and they wouldn't say anything if, uh, um, they didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't call in the, the cavalry, so to speak, on right. uh, stopping construction efforts. So they kind of wrote that one off as being the most likely situation. So, uh, about 20 years ago, they were out exploring by five points and there was a lot of brush growing up and they found a tombstone that was exciting and uh, always meant to go go back and check into it, but uh, um, I guess it was uh, somebody from the militia who was in the Revolutionary War. So it's wild mm. to think that you know bur- people buried around here in this area go back that far. And I've stumbled yeah. across a few of those right. as well in the research for that episode. He also mentioned a uh, another uh, cemetery. I think it was over somewhere in Missouri, Palmyra, where where one of the people buried uh, was. Um, in the right place and time and the right in, uh, infantry and whatnot to be part of Pickett's charge at Gettysburg. Mm. So, oh, wow. Yeah, pretty wow. wild to think that you know history people who experience history in those huge situations have a connection back here. Um, you know, he talks a little bit more about other, other people buried from the Confederate Army in Missouri, as well as a little bit wondering if maybe one of them was involved in the Palmyra Massacre that happened around the Civil War times. We talked about that. Yeah. Just a little bit on the uh, Civil War episode we did. We may have to swing around on that in the yeah. future. So, um, yeah, appreciate that note from Mark. Uh, Amy S. on Facebook um, said, I used to live in a house near 14th and College. Part of the basement floor was dirt, which was creepy. 
So one day I was cutting out wood shapes from my from my scroll saw. I was concentrating on what I was cutting, and I was interrupted by someone grabbing me at both sides of the waist. I spun around, turned, and saw that no one was there. Whoa. Yeah. I went upstairs, checked all the doors, which were locked, and no one else was home. Prior to wow. selling that house a year later, I found out that a previous owner committed suicide in that house. Creepy. Yes. Uh- that should have been that's, on the disclosure. It's uh, uh, pretty creepy, yeah, right? <laughs> Help us out, real estate agents. I'm pretty sure that should have been on the disclosure statement. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Kimberly uh, Kimberly H. was kind enough to uh, fill in the blanks of the senior moment we, you and I were having, and we couldn't think of the movie where the people were buried in the backyard or the oh, Native yeah. American burial ground. And that was, of course, Poltergeist. I'm sure many oh. people were screaming at the at their headphones when that little... <laughs> Mental slip happened from us. We appreciate that. Is that the? Is that the? They're here. Uh, uh, is, is that that one? Yes, I think, I think that is. Uh, it was yeah. Sue Ann, or was it Sue yeah. Ann, the little girl? Something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Byron Byron H said uh, he he brought up the same point that you did, Chris. On uh, you know, not everyone is listed in the cemetery on findagrave.com, and that's good to remember because you know some like I said the, the the numbers in a lot of these cemeteries we talked about were rough estimates just based off what they did know. They may have been much larger in reality. Yeah. So it's good to keep that in mind. Appreciate that, uh, Byron. Um, well, and on that note, yeah. too, real quick, while we're talking about that, uh, we in our last Patreon episode, we were talking about some of the stories we didn't get to, and one of those was about uh, we ended up talking about the first and hopefully only ever time of grave robbers in the Quincy area, and then we found out about the potential of a potter's field in like right. the Woodland Cemetery area, and then we're not sure that's really even marked today. You so know, it, it's funny you bring up that 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 sentiment about grave robbing. Um, I remember when we read the the, the note there from uh, history from our forefathers, we were both kind of like, "Why was there a noose around the guy?" You yeah. Know? Well, I, during my research for the next episode, which we'll get to here in a little bit, uh, turns out that a lot of grave robbers, Chris didn't dig up the entire coffin all they did was could di- was dig down into the head part of where the coffin was mm. break that open put a lasso noose around the body and pull it up through the ground that way oh. so they weren't digging down like they do in the movies yeah, to actually like the get the coffin out yeah. and crack yeah, the lid yeah. That was that took too damn long, I guess. So yeah. they had it down to a science. <laughs> so that that explains that strangely enough. So huh. a little interesting. There. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's probably the first time that it was occurrence in Quincy, and so yeah. yeah. Anyway, Big but deal. yeah, check out our Patreon episode, uh, and, and you can learn more about that crazy story about Indian doctor that was, uh, you know, potentially a great being robbed at the grave. I guess. So yeah. Do you have anything else? Uh, Sarah S. said that uh, my mom was interested to find your site. She's into genealogy and canvassed all of Adams County cemeteries and in, in uh, books at the Quincy Public Library. Uh, she remembers going with her mom several times and writing down information. Uh, interested to hear about the unknown cemeteries. So uh, Sarah and uh, Sarah's mom, thank you guys for listening. Hope you've got some fun leads maybe. We appreciate yeah. that. And we appreciate the yours and everyone's feedback through all the various means. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Keep them coming. Yeah, and uh, we'll give you information at the end of the episode about how you can get in touch with us if you have some information about this one or any of the other 50-plus, 60-plus episodes that we have that are available for you to uh, listen to. Uh, Travis, uh, I kind of prefaced it a little bit, 
uh, but uh, it always bears to mention more, and that's Patreon. And on top of that, we have some new Patreon members. That's right. We've had a few more, a uh, few more individuals enter the realms of the wild things. We appreciate it greatly, including Shane Bailey, who joined us at the five dollar medium Jeff special level. Thank you, Shane. And Kylie Stratton, who joined us at the eight dollar Kelly salad bar level. Thank you, Kylie. Uh, if you guys uh, want to learn more about uh, all those additional bonus episodes, we'll be uh, pitching that here in a few minutes. But thank you to them and all those who we call the Wild Things who are part of our Patreon program. Yeah, for sure. And you'll uh, hear some information about that coming up in just a few minutes. Travis, we got a packed episode coming your way uh, for uh, this one coming up, but uh, we have to get to the question of the day. You were successful last episode, if I remember correctly. Don't rub it in my face. I'll get it wrong <laughs> this time. Don't talk me up too much, Chris. Uh, again, I, I when, before we got started recording, I went and said, oh, I think he'll get this one. And I was like, no, I can't say that because every time yeah. I say that, then he no, doesn't get it. It's a curse. The curse. Uh, yeah. So uh, this one, we're going to go a little bit out of the Quincy area, but not too far away. And this one, uh, it has to do with the legendary Jesse James. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Jesse James, of course, train robber, um, American outlaw, if you will. He was born and killed in the state of Missouri in the 1800s. James, he traveled all around the Midwest and uh, was known to visit Hannibal in his life. But the question is this, how do we know that he visited Hannibal? All right. So I'm going to give you a few options here. I got four choices. You got to pick which one is correct. So here we go. He robbed a stagecoach just outside of town in 1879. Uh, He had family that lived here and he would visit them often. Uh, his name was found in the wall inside Mark Twain Cave, or he had a journal and wrote about visiting Hannibal. So there you go. Those are the options. So how do we know Jesse James visited America's hometown of Hannibal, Missouri? Was it he robbed a stagecoach in town? Was he uh, visiting family? Uh, was he visiting Mark Twain Cave? Or uh, did he write about it in his journal? Travis, you, you had a look. Feeling, feeling confident, confident on that one? Feeling okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have the answer to that question uh, coming up at the end of this episode. But this one, we got to talk about uh, something that we have been wanting to talk about for probably a solid four seasons now. And we're going to talk about brothels in Quincy. And that's coming up next right here on Wild Quincy. <laughs> what you missed on the latest after hours episode of wild quincy we already talked about this just to recap 1835 land was purchased for a new cemetery many bodies were found blah 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 we're talking about madison park the one part that i highlighted in this though was because it says in april of 1891 the association petitioned for the city council to remove the headstones and convert the neglected cemetery into a park which we know the city engineer was directed to prepare a plat map showing accurate locations of the graves and the headstones were to be laid down flat and covered up. So are there headstones still covered up with dirt in Madison Park? I would uh, bet money on it. Our After Hours episodes are available exclusively for Patreon members by going to patreon.com slash wildquincy. For just a couple dollars a month, not only will you double the amount of Wild Quincy episodes at your fingertips, but you'll also be supporting our efforts as we continue to dive into the wild and crazy history of our favorite town. Also, as a Patreon member, you can take part in our live events and Patreon-only outings, as well as having access to our regular episodes two days before they are released to the public. 
It's easy. Just head to patreon.com slash wildquincy. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash wildquincy and become a wild thing today. So we're back here for another episode at the mid-season of Wild Quincy. And, and Travis, you know, a lot of times when we do these episodes, we are like, man, there's so much cool information that we need to get to. And like, oh, we can tackle this. And then there's a point where we go, man, this might be a little bit out of our our, our pay grade. We, we might need to bring in somebody that knows a little something more about this. And I, I think we brought that person in for this episode. So Travis, fill us in with what we're talking about and introduce who we're talking to. Absolutely. I, I have the great pleasure of introducing Iris Nelson. Iris was a, is a retired reference librarian, a, a staple of the community. She's helped me many times over the years, I know, as I've been kind of wandering around the uh, Illinois room in the, in the library. She's got such a finger on the pulse of Quincy history and uh, has done so much, including being on the board of the Lincoln Douglas Debate Museum, also has been associated with the uh, the, the Historical Society of Quincy and Adams County, as well as a list too long to even get everything. So I'm not going to try, but Iris Nelson, thank you so much for joining us tonight. How are you? I'm fine. I'm happy to be here. Well, excellent. Well, Iris, um, well, give the background I, first, Travis, at, yeah, how you met her. Yeah. That. Well, I've, I've often uh, seen your articles you've done for the newspaper for the historical society. And, uh, you know, I, I going through researching history on different topics we've done on wild Quincy. I know once or twice we've, we've stumbled across an article of yours before, but it was just, I guess, probably, ooh, time gets a little away from me, but it's probably three or four months ago you gave a great presentation. Uh, I believe it was called Brothels, Boats and Booze? Is that somewhere <laughs> in the neighborhood? Correct? On the top? Oh, boats, Brothels, and Booze. Oh. There you go. And that was down at the Very Quincy there you go. It was and it was a packed house. I I don't know if there'd been that many people in that room in the Quincy uh, History Museum in a while. It was a great turnout, and you just did a great job of giving such an overview on the more seedier side of Quincy. And I thought, you know, as Chris alluded to when we first started here. We thought, okay, the challenge for us on Wild Quincy is to try to learn as much as we can about a topic in a couple weeks. And we started going down the rabbit hole on the topic of brothels and quickly realized that there is an abundance of information. And rather than try to get everything in one fell swoop, we thought it would make more sense um, to utilize your expertise to start things off with a bit of an overview. And then from that point, Chris and I may, may kind of deviate and figure out how we want to break out future topics on this. So uh, let's get things started, Iris. Wh- where did you first hear about the rumors of the Cedar side of Quincy? I think it was conversationally. Um, when I first came to Quincy in the late 70s, people would mention different things, but mostly they mentioned, of course, Al Capone being here and things of that sort. Um, but as, as I was doing some research and after we got the digital archive uh, newspapers, then, um, you know, you're looking at different articles for different purposes, and you see more information about, um, you know, the river town, not necessarily the brothels or the seedy wild side, but certainly about the river and the, the use of the river and what was at the riverfront and so on. And, and then um, I just decided to do a search one day and to look at what I could find under prostitution. And 
I found one thing. Huh. Uh, and, and that was a sermon. What, really? <laughs> and that's what I'd given, yeah. One thing. And I thought, well, this can't be right from everything I've heard. So, um, you know, as you're doing research, you look for search terms. And the search terms that I came up with were quite a surprise in the sense that uh, I found articles talking about inmates. And, mm. you know, my reference of inmates has always been someone in jail, incarcerated. Right. And and it turns out that they're talking about the inmates in a brothel. Mm. Um, and then there's like five inmates arrested at Madame So-and-So's house and, and so on. And then we move on and we find articles about uh, so many people arrested at a sporting resort or in the Tenderloin District or in the Red Transom District, things of that sort. So it opened up um, a lot of ways to be looking at different articles and learn much more about Quincy than I ever thought there was, and that being that there's never been an article written or, or any reference really in a book about early Quincy in this regard. Um, so as a person who was curious and also as a person who believes in the 360 of history, not just the good and wonderful that Quincy has so very much right. of, but also the other side of the coin and, and in this river town. So um, I decided to delve into it and um, it got pretty, pretty interesting. So that's how it all started. Hmm. Now, as we kind of get move into the the topic, everybody's probably on the edge of their seat. I know this is always a popular topic when we when we just kind of uh, take a glance or take a, a stroll by the idea of this topic. So I, I think there's going to be a lot of interested people. Um, if you can paint a picture a, a little bit of Quincy in in the kind of mid to late 1800s as a river town, uh, how to compare it to today? Well, let me go back to a little bit of the settlement of Quincy. You know in the sense that it was established because it was a perfect port. It was a deep bay next to a bluff, so it was perfect for steamboats coming in and so on. So it, it didn't grow quickly, but a lot of little stores were established along the riverfront. Uh, there were still many uh, Native Americans, you know, with their teepees on the riverfront. There was a huge uh, pork industry that was established. And as time went on, you know, riverboats and steamboats uh, came up the river doing all kinds of different trade. And that meant, you know, businesses were established eventually. And in about 1835, when the um, land office was established here, and you had all of the speculators coming in to buy land, of which it was great plenty, um, that really kind of changed the scene. And Quincy in about 1840 was only 2,000 people. It hmm. still was not large at that point. Right. So as the steamboats came and as um, eateries, they called restaurants, and taverns were established, you know, to take care of all the passengers and, and the people, you know, going back and forth. Um, you know, the the whiskey joints, let me just call them that, um, 
were there and, you know, all the saloons and so on. And all of these places basically had the upstairs, the upstairs where the girls were kept. Hmm. And so it was pretty prolific along the riverfront in terms of um, the hotels. You know, there were several hotels that were became notorious for being places for um they, they say businessmen because, you know, those were the ones that were traveling singly. Um, and, you know, the, the uh, brothels grew and were just part of the busy, busy activity uh, that was pretty, pretty raw, I guess, pretty wild. And, and, um, and I think it's hard for us to imagine it in our mind's eye. Because everything was mud, <laughs> right. you know, just right. just the just the area of just the transportation and so on. Um, so in the eighteen fifties, you know, there was um, there was a, a booming business of all this kind of activity, and then about eighteen ninety nine, when the new railroad um, station was being built all those brothels and so on had to be torn down to make room for the railroad uh, to come in. And that's when they moved up into city center and up into the area that was called the famous line of vice, which was second. And back in this time period, was this type of activity legal? Yes, it was. Really? There were no, there were no books. There were no laws on the books until 1840s, you know, in terms of the city being established as an incorporated entity. Gotcha. Um, but it was still legal. It was not illegal. Interesting. So it just grew and grew and grew. And while the, the um, Quincy House, that big, wonderful, monumental hotel, and all the finery that came into the area, you know, was also prospering, you still had this underbelly of life. Right. Uh, that grew alongside it, but it's that underbelly that was really never, never um, written about or talked about. You mentioned that uh, in the beginning, pretty much the riverfront, uh, is it fair to say in the vicinity of maybe uh, what would be today, maybe Front and Broadway, would that be kind of the, the where a lot of the brothels were originally started in Quincy? Is that a fair assessment? Yes, yes. Front Street, which was called the Levee. And they had all kinds of saloons okay. and so on on the levee. And then like Oak Street, so a little over from Broadway. Um, right. So 2nd and Oak kind of down at that uh, time was the main center. Okay, of, uh, gotcha. The, you said that it was like the other area was like 2nd Broadway uh, in current times, right? Is that what you were saying? Well, as as they came up the bluff after the railroad came in. Okay, and so that would be like I, I'm trying to compare that to like current standards. So is that like kind of under the bridge and stuff? Is that were you looking at the same thing where the uh, Bayview Bridge is at now? That's under the bridge. Is that the kind of the area we're looking at? Yes, I mean Second and Broadway was there just as it is. Today. Yeah, but okay. that was in like early 1900s. Right, you know? right, right. Okay. Um, so you know, it was it was a move that just came into the into the city. It came up the bluff and it came mm-hmm. into the core of the city. Um, but in those early years, there were these little houses just perched on the edge. Some were private, owned by madams and so on, and others were 
you know, the big hotels, the Virginia Hotel, the Steamboat Hotel, the Sherman Hotel, or the Sheridan, I should say. Um, there were any number of them uh, that were active and remained active for many, many years. Those that weren't torn down, I should say. Now, did, do you have any idea about, it was obviously a prolific area in, in that time. Do we know number-wise about what we could expect on how many brothels existed? Well, I guess you can say it this way, that about 1900, there was something like, there was a, a, a small movement then to sort of clean up um, things. And in 1900, there were 50 brothels on Main, below 3rd Street. <laughs> so wait, so on 3rd Street from Main, there's, did you say 90? 50. Oh my gosh! 50. Oh, 50. Okay, yeah. fifty. Sorry, I think it eighteen ninety. Yeah, okay. So fifty in that condensed of an area, and that wasn't the exclusive area because it sounds like the block of Second Street between Second uh, and Third, from like maybe Ver Vermont, uh, Broadway, maybe a couple of Northern streets, a little more north too, and maybe south. Is that kind of a corridor there that was really? The, the landscape of the, the te I guess what we call the Tenderloin District? Whatever you want to name it, it had all those names. <laughs> so, oh, right. actually, that brings up a great question. So, just let's clarify that. Is is this, you know, you talked about like the, and we've looked it up, and I've, I've done a little, just a little bit of research on it, and, the, you know, we would see like Red Transom and Red Light and Tenderloin. Are those all the same? Yeah, oh. it's just different references to the same. So it's not like different areas. But uh, but I'm saying within, the, is, it, is that one whole area in Quincy, or is there different districts in Quincy? The only, well, there are different areas. The okay. only one that was given a name was the famous line of vice, which is second in Broadway. Okay. Which is another area going north. It was just packed with, you know, Broadway. Right. Mostly gotcha. in the form of small houses. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, the Tenderloin district's like a generic term then? It's not specific to like Quincy? Oh, no, no. It's, oh, it's very okay. generic. Okay. Very I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk. Is, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Iris. I did. Well, I was just going to say the the red transom district, for example. That's you know a generic thing. As sure. Well. Yeah. I just thought Tenderloin seemed like so unique. Like that felt <laughs> Quincy eccentric there to me. D but. Different than the sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've had the unfortunate position to be in San Francisco a couple times and for business trips and it seems like I'm always right around the Tenderloin area so you're you're walking and you're walking pretty quick to get, get through that area <laughs> out in that neck of the woods. Well, let's talk a little bit about let's talk a little bit about the actual women who were the inmates. Are I'm sure there's a diverse group that made up uh, I guess the prostitutes. So, so is, is the term prostitute, was that used a lot then? Because it sounds like in, in the terms of covering the issue in newspapers, they really danced around that. I know inmate was big. And then I, I think my favorite term is soiled doves. Um, but what, talk about how, how were these women getting into this life of prostitution? Is there any one one magic uh, bullet that kind of led to it? Or give us a little dynamic there, that, as far as you understand. Well, uh, think about it. Women had a hard time supporting themselves. Right. If they were a widow or if they were an orphan. Or, you know, women often just had to get married in order to be supported and have support. Sure. Uh, so it was it was really tough for women. 
And if something happened to a spouse or if they lost a job, um, you know, this was a case with some local women, but it also was the case, and I don't know if you want to jump ahead to 1910 or not, but, you know, pre just previous to 1910, the, um, you know, just the trade of women, um, the slave yeah. trade, the trafficking, the trafficking was huge, huge, mm. huge. To the point white, that white white slavery was a is that the same the term that was associated with this this whole kind of phenomenon? yes yes okay it was okay. the man act but it was uh, white slavery and it was a man from Illinois who was very familiar with the the uh, practices here of going from Quincy to Kansas City to um, Keokuk and Peoria so there was a big ring in which they circulated women really and. Oftentimes when they came to town, and this sounds so sick, but um, they would put them in the back of a car or something so they were visible, and they'd parade the new girls in town. Oh, really? Um, wow. To show who was new and who was available. And, hmm. you know, it's hard. It's really hard to kind of imagine yeah. that. But, mm -hmm. um, Different world. At any yeah. rate, you know, and they were just forced into prostitution by unscrupulous persons who would lie to them about taking them, you know, for example, from Kansas City um, or even from parts of closer in from Missouri, that they would bring them here and give them a job and they would have shelter, they would have food. But that all led to, you know, prostitution. Right. And, um, so it would be it would be it wasn't uncommon for um I guess the, the various girls that worked in this these establishments to be on a circuit essentially to kind of bringing in new if you want to say the word talent into different areas so that was pretty common and, and, and was that kind of 1910 timeline is that kind of when that became more prevalent well, That's when the Man Act was passed was 1910 Then that no. was to, to to counteract all all the white slavery yes, or to try yes. to fight and, it Okay Yeah the interstate trafficking of women. Okay, gotcha. But gotcha. the problem was that Quincy didn't respond to that hmm. law, the white slave law. Really? So, I mean, they just didn't do anything about it. Um, hmm. And the newspapers reflect this, you know. And finally, you know, the, the arrests in all these uh, newspapers, you know, of women who are arrested. And, of course, you know, there's booze involved and there's spice involved and, and, you know, they'll have headlines like choir girl in the tenderloin arrested. Okay. Or um, naughty girl pays $5. Mm. Naughty girl, guys are never mentioned. Like right. Mm -hmm. Just want right. to say that, all right? Yeah. <laughs> I did notice uh, uh, commonly when, when men were fined, uh, and sometimes women, they, they were on charges of what they call vagrancy. Did you notice that in your research, Iris? And did you have any insight into exactly what, what that meant? Well, vagrancy was oftentimes just not having um, a, a place. You know, they were on the streets or okay. something of mm -hmm. that sort. Yeah. yeah, it just seemed like there was a lot of overlap in, in kind of women getting fined for being inmates of these establishments and sometimes what I assume would be would maybe more unsavory characters that were trying to patronize the area. Um, yeah, it was just kind of an odd, odd term I didn't expect to see in some of those articles. Well, I think um, men often got 
arrested for being in brawls and maybe they were fighting over a woman or got in a fight in a bar or something, you know, so they were arrested for those purposes. Now, uh, based on your research, obviously crime tends to kind of breed crime. Are these tenderloin, this tenderloin district and this, this whole areas of vice is, are they ridiculed with other aspects of crime as well? Or is it kind of uh, more established as, you know, you're down there for one reason and one reason alone? Well, drugs are prevalent, you know, um, certainly. And, and, and that means other than alcohol. Um, there were actually opium dens in Quincy. Hmm. Oh, really? Um, some up, some up on the square, even. Wow. That wow. you know, there were Chinese uh, persons here running them. Interesting. Um, so it's it's um, a real mix of different things, but you know, just running, just running uh, money from gambling, uh, and you can't divorce, you know, the the sale of liquor and the process of gambling from any of this in these areas of vice you know right you know, that's just part of the whole picture it's a muddy picture yeah yeah a lot, <laughs> of, gray, a lot and, of gray and it's all going on a lot going on at the same time yeah leading up to a certain point all this activity was essentially legal when was there public outcry when did that start to build in quincy to kind of try to counteract uh, this the vices that existed. Well, it started a bit around the turn of the century, and um, that's when they had these headlines about the fifty, you know, houses on Main below Third because it's like these houses have to go because citizens are upset and they're complaining. Yeah. And then uh, the Man Act was passed, and that was supposed to make it better. But you know, through the early years, then uh, after nineteen ten. Uh, it's a very colorful newspaper articles. And then about 1915, um, there's a, a person on city council, an alderman, who wants to uh, make a change and make it illegal and to get rid of prostitution. And um, so, you know, there are a lot of people, a lot of families involved in, in this and so on. And and um, he could, the mayor could see that this was going to be passed without his initiation or anything. So he jumps in in a big political move, <laughs> right. and he makes the resolution. Oh. <laughs> he gets to be the hero of the day. Wow! <laughs> so, nice. Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty amusing. And that was 1915. Okay. But you know, did anything happen? <laughs> Right, that's not it, so that's, much. Did they enforce the law? I mean, it's one thing to give lip service to all of this in terms of getting rid of it. Might get you a few votes yeah, like, with the elections coming up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But this pretty much went on, even though they said they must go and all these women must leave town. Um, it, just, it just really didn't happen. So in 1918, um, there were about... 11 brothels in in a more concentrated area. And what year was that? What year? 1918. 1918, okay. 18, yeah. Now we're we're coming up on the roaring 20s and that obviously had a huge social dynamic change in in the whole country. Um but what what did the scene look like in the 1920s in Quincy in, r- in relation to 
prostitution and it seems like organized crime was starting to kind of get off get its feet you know kind of into a walking pace at that point as well um talk a little bit about the roaring 20s and it was there any significant effect on prostitution or the lay of the land here in quincy well, obviously it's just compounded everything you know right. there was more uh, illegal activity in terms of you know making hooch and so on and and passing off um bad liquor came by boat it was offloaded and sent to big vats at different places where they uh, made um, distilled their their liquor, or just plain um, diluted it and put it out for sale. And of course, with the mobsters that came with um, the Roaring Twenties and Prohibition, there was uh, there were a lot more illegal persons that were here, including. You know, the Chicago gang, you know, this was a cooling off area. Right. And um, Capone, you know, ruled down to Peoria, I think it was. And there was an agreement that, you know, he didn't touch this area. Hmm. But that doesn't mean he didn't come here and cool sure. off and was here often, of course, at Moncton's house and mm-hmm. had girlfriends here and had a whole driving uh, network uh, was places on the river that were little houseboats and kind of hidden. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it was just made for a very destructive and lively, of course, place with all the speakeasies downtown and the gambling upstairs. You know, there were rooms within rooms mm-hmm. that were to hide activity from the street. Uh, and that included the, um, you know, where they made the the booze. Um, there would be a brick building with no windows inside a building. So if you looked inside, you wouldn't see it. Mm. Oh, and, and the same above, you know, like uh, above the places right on 5th Street. Um, and across from the square, you know, there was a huge gambling activities going on. But there were rooms within rooms. And gotcha. serious, serious passwords and thick, thick doors. <laughs> I mean, you didn't get in without the password. Just out of curiosity, is there any evidence of that still today? Is there still buildings that still have any resemblance of those Sora setups um, that you're aware I of? I think most, well, there was until pretty recently, actually. Really? Wow. Yeah. You know, the, the Cuckoo's Clock was one of the places that was really fine dining downstairs. But when you went upstairs from the exterior door, it was heavy-duty gambling. And I think there were several places along uh, that area that had those um, places upstairs, which over the years, and especially with the recent renovations of many of those into apartments, Hmm. you know, it has changed in that regard. Wow, that's cool. That's neat. Now, Iris, I remember in your presentation, you you talked a little bit about you had the opportunity uh, in the past to actually visit a former brothel location. Is that right? Correct. Over in Hannibal. It wasn't in Quincy. Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Could you would you mind uh, telling us a little bit about what you found, like kind of the lay of the land in, in, in that area? Well, it was most interesting and most unexpected. Um, and someone that I knew had told me about it, and I happened to be over there with a friend one day, and I ran into this person, and he said, hey, do you want to go upstairs and see this place? He said, I know the owner of this restaurant. 
And I said, I'd love to, you know. So we went up there and I had my, you know, my camera. I guess it was just my phone, but um, the lay of, the lay of the floor was actually in like a red cross, you know, just a cross shape like that. Okay. And you go up these wide stairs, and uh, on the diagonal, you had special windows for the prime girls, okay. and they were all elevated. So they sit on stools, and you go down an aisle. And uh, they would be in these rather narrow windows that had um, uh, shutters on them of different varieties. Wow. Uh, there were some that were solid, some that were like, um, oh, what do you call those? Not ventilated, but you know what I mean. Gotcha. Um, and, and all of them were broken in and, you know, a mess. Um, it was just the studs at this point. Mm, right, right. The drywall was gone. Classroom was gone, and there was one room toward the front uh, that still had some bed springs in it. Hmm. Um, but it was the design of it, and the fact that there was on the diagonal on the corners there were these bigger windows, and that's where the girls who were most the most desirable would sit. Wow. Other than that, okay. you could go in and you could say, "Okay, I want a blonde. I want you know someone who's very dark. I want whatever." Um, and like I say, it's, well, certainly Hannibal, like Quincy, it was very, very, um, busy river town. And there right. are others that I've been in, but they, they don't, didn't have that same configuration at all. This one was very, uh, I'm going to say impressive because there were so many different places, Is that right? you know, hmm. that's, uh, and that's yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, and I guess I, I kind of leading on from the last question I asked, but let's turn it to the the aspect of brothels. Is there evidence of brothels still in Quincy? Is there still buildings that had that, you know, that uh, type of business in them that still actually exist today? Well, I'm sure that there. Well, there's one, and that was a that was a hotel. Oh, okay, it, you know, it's no longer a hotel, but the Park Hotel. Mm. On the corner of Fourth. Oh yes, right. Tir yeah, yeah. Tiramisu. Where Tiramisu's at now? Yeah. Right. Upstairs, um, there was activity there uh, in the seventies. Mm. Oh wow. Yeah. So th this this was a this took a while to die out. It sounds like it was a Quincy tradition in its own right. It sounds like <laughs> it certainly was. It certainly was, and you know. Um, it's very, you know, at that point, it's very undercover. But the rooms, as as I have been told by people there now, the rooms are very small rooms, and there there were a lot of rooms on those mm. floors right. above there. Um, so, you know, but there wasn't really any other hotels downtown that had been there for a while, and yet the Park Hotel was still relatively new. Mm. Although the Lincoln Douglas certainly had its activity too, the Lincoln Douglas Hotel in the opposite corner. Oh, right, right, um, right. And that was known as the Mecca for the traveling salesman. Could, um, get, could get everything really? you need. Huh. Wow. Yes. <laughs> and that's in the, you know, I mean, that the hotel was opened in 1930, the same year as the bridge went in. Right. And uh, so that went on for quite some time. In huh. the, Wow. I'm curious when uh, during Prohibition and when there were a lot of speakeasy activities, 
did the nature of the, I guess the prostitution business, what did it merge or, or did it kind of deviate away from being one central tenderloin district and, and more of just, okay, we have a speakeasy. We need to bring some girls over. Was it more of the, the migration of prostitution into different areas of Quincy at that point? Or was it still pretty centralized from your understanding, Iris? Well, from what one can glean, um, they were certainly on like 6th Street. And, you know, most of those restaurants there had something downstairs, if not up. Right. Um, the 6th Street was um, pretty notorious. I mean, it was, the hoodlums were terrible. So right. um, in, in terms of just being so rough and uh, physical and to the point of beating people up so they were killed, you know. Hmm. And there was a case in, oh gosh, what was it, 1952, something like that? Um, I could look it up, but it's around that time. Where this man was um, murdered, I mean, he was beaten to death and left in the alley. And there's a lady who's tired of all this activity. And, you know, the girls are in the restaurants and the windows are open so people can see what's going on and so on. And um, she writes to the um, newspaper. And this is a letter to the editor, you know, that she she's talking about this. And she said it has to stop. She said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to go outside. And, um, and it's hard to live here. And so then there was another article that followed that and said that the editor of the paper had gotten a call and said, if that woman doesn't stop writing, we'll take care of her. Holy cow. Oof. Wow. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, in the 50s. Wow. So, um, I mean, the threats were real, and I can't. You know, the, we can only speculate about how many people were knocked off mm. uh, over the years of this kind of uh, disregard for for the law and civility, you know. In a previous episode, uh, we, we've covered some of the, I guess you could say, Godfathers of Quincy. The, uh, the first, well, I guess the first two technically, um, you know, being Leo Moncton and then Ted Crowley, I guess you could make a case for James Earl Ray's grandfather being maybe one of the earlier predecessors to that. But I'm curious um, if we if we kind of segment. Um, let's talk Moncton for a second. Did did Moncton have a lot of activity with within like the world of brothels or prostitution? As far as your research or what you've heard, well, I'm sure he had a hand in it, and I'm sure the girls were at his house. Right. Um, there's evidence of that, and there's, um, but there's nothing specific because, of course, those kinds of people don't talk. Yeah, if they're exactly. involved with Moncton, exactly. you don't talk. Yeah. <laughs> right, Moncton yeah. wasn't talking, so <laughs> so uh, yeah. it's hard to know. Now things change a bit. Uh, well, maybe in my own mind, I could be totally wrong on this. I want to get your thoughts when it comes to the Moncton's. Uh, Sec, I guess first in command, and he became the godfather of Quincy, Ted Crowley. Ted had a more direct relationship to prostitution. Is that a fair thing to say? Yes. Um, you know, there were a lot of wannabes when in the in the fifties, just before 
Moncton died mysteriously, let me say, in 1959, even though hospitalized, you know, he got this, right. whatever that was, and, and he died, not quickly, but he died. Um, and then Ted Crowley, of course, took over. But there were wannabes who, who, who um, were working to get that spot. So there's speculation that a couple of those people were knocked off. Uh, yeah, and then Crowley, yeah. So Crowley basically kind of married into the business in a way. Is that, is that about right? Um, how do you mean that? Just uh, his wife, Jackie, or I guess it'd be his third wife, Jackie and Ruth. We talked about uh, Ted oh, in a yeah, previous episode on. as well, but yeah. uh, Jackie, yeah. I, I always forget what was her kind of working name. If it was Jackie or Ruth. I know that she was called both. Jackie was her working name and Ruth okay. was her real name. And and I think we've we've talked about this. Obviously, the the, the red brick built uh, house that was right next to where Grandma rocks on the roof. There, um, that was Jackie's establishment, and it, you know I think we all remember that being there. Uh, talk a little bit about Jackie, if you don't mind. Well, from everything that I've read and from people who actually remember her, uh, yes. she was a very interesting, lively woman. I mean, very pleasant, always dressed to the nines. And always took care of her girls. Um, she sent her girls to Dr. Barber to have their checkups. And she sent them to, I forget the name of the clothing store is downtown that was popular then. Right. There was quite a few, and, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But there was only one that she really sent them to. Okay. okay. Um, and they would be allotted a nice sum of money for the day to right. get their outfits. And so, you know, it wasn't, I mean, the house doesn't look like anything all that fancy, as some were very, very fancy, you know. Um, they were upscale houses as well as, you know, the other sorts of houses. Um, but I know someone who was in uh, the house when Jackie was there and had to have some plumbing fixed. And, um, you know, the girls were just <laughs> lounging around, you know, ready to you know, just for the day, during the day. Yeah. And um, he said, you know, it was just like going into any old house, except it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, except it wasn't, yeah. But, you know, she, um, I guess in terms of uh, having an upscale house, some of them, unlike the, thing, the buildings that were just barely standing up, you know, they, they um, made sure they weren't giving illness to men and obviously then women. Mm. Was that mandated by the city at, at one point, like health checkups or was that just kind of at the discretion of the, the madam of the establishment? Do you have any insight in that? I, I really don't know, but I think it was probably at the discretion. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Would they, I mean, it'd be hard to mandate. They don't even know. Right. Who they are. Right. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> Plus it's a sales yeah, point yeah. too, for the locations of the, like we got clean. You know, yeah. Clean, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> true. Well, by reputation, you know, that was by reputation. They would know where yeah. those places were to go. Gotcha. You know, you, you said you said something, Iris, that just kind of sparked a question. And I don't, I don't know if you have a definitive answer or not, but, 
were th- were there hours of operation in in these establishments? Was it uh, you know five o'clock comes along and they clocked in, or was it an all day situation for the, uh, if you were seeking services at these establishments? Any any idea on how that worked out? Well, I really don't, but I have heard stories. I mean, that were told to me that um, sure, you know, like being in the pickup with grandpa or with dad and going. You know, across the street from Paper Irwin, Irwin Paper there, and Grandpa would take his money, and he'd go in and just say, "Stay here, I won't be long." <laughs> and that was during the day. Oh so gosh. you know, right, right. <laughs> and you know the the house that was on the hill. Um, oh, you know, just sort of catty corner from what is now the Cox Center. That hill that had that house on it that was. Pretty much shrouded by um, trees and stuff. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah that that was a popular um, place as Interesting. well. Interesting. Okay. And there was several pink pussy cat. You know the blue right. something. Or they were all along that uh, from Broadway up the hill. Mm. Um, so there were there were different areas, different blocks at different times. But um, I love the famous line of ice just saying the famous line has to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and the others weren't famous enough to be called the famous line, I guess. But, sure. Yeah. sure. <laughs> I know it's kind of hard to say since a lot of things seem to go more underground. Uh, what, what would you say? Maybe in the 60s and 70s, perhaps. Uh, is there any definitive um, end to prostitution, as far as you're aware, what what contributing factors really uh, cracked down on it in the area? Well, I know that there was uh, a concerted effort in the 50s going into the 60s when okay. um, a couple of guys, one of them being Bob Hayes and Joe Bonanzinga, when they came back from serving in the war, for example, you know, they knew Quincy's reputation and they wanted to change Quincy's reputation. So they really worked with, with doing some things that would establish it in a, in a different way. And that's when, you know, um, the Three City USA was, you know, the mm. first one was 1962. Um, there were things, there were articles in the paper that said, you know, Quincy no longer has hoodlums and criminals and blah, blah, blah. You know, just trying to give a little vanity press to, you know, this place that had such a, a bad reputation. So, you know, I think things came along, and yet um, James Earl Ray was still here cooling off, you know, at different times along sure. along this particular time as well. So there were still areas where that were extremely uh, active. But overall, I think the police had begun to crack down when um, uh, there was a sheriff Elmer mm. Elmore who who was more honest, and uh, okay. that was in the 1930s. Um, so it you know ebbed and waned. I mean you know with uh, with the years there, but he was one who, when he was offered <laughs> when he was offered a car, a really nice car. If he would just play the ball game, he mm. said, "No, he's not have a car." You know, but there was there was so much corruption in the police departments. I mean, just so much corruption. 
people on the take to keep their mouths shut. And that's only added to the problem. Um, so, you know, when did it stop? I, I mean, it's it's not prevalent. I'm sure it yeah. still goes on, but there's there's no real, every city. There's yeah. no real bookend you can put on that topic. No, I guess. Right. no, I don't think so. Gotcha. I think you know, yeah, the state cracked down more at different times. Yeah, I, I believe um, I believe in the seventies there was a police chief. Uh, I believe his last name was uh, was maybe McGruber or Gruber. Maybe I think I it was remember. Gruber. Yeah, and I think he had a positive influence on maybe some of the more uh, corrupt uh, underbelly, maybe was, in town. Yeah, he was the same one that had the issue with the uh, slot machines, or where that kind of started getting the crackdown, right? I think it was kind of across the board on you yeah. know pick of ice. For, yeah. But again, he, he may be a topic of a. I think he passed away a few years ago, actually, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, yeah, well, I gotta ask Iris. You heard all the stories, you know, when you said you moved to Quincy in was it the nineteen seventies? Is that right? In the late nineteen seventies. Yeah. Were Were you shocked to find that this, these weren't just uh, you know rumors? I mean, give, give, what did you expect to find versus what you did find, and what were your takeaways? Well, I, you know, I expected to find some things. I expected to find, you know, enough information to make it interesting, but I didn't expect to see the um, breadth of the corruption that was went on for decades and decades and decades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. was and was given lip service, but it didn't really change. And of course, you know, as a river town, you expect that there is prostitution, but I didn't, I didn't know how colorful it all was, you hmm. know. And if we didn't have the newspaper, the digital archives, we'd never yeah. have that picture. So oh, we um, we live in those digital archives. Yeah, we, yeah. we, we <laughs> it's amazing. It's great. It's great. Oh, and it's years so ago, when I was at a conference in um, Atlanta. Um, a national conference, um, you know, digitizing newspapers had been very, very difficult. Hmm. And because we're in this crossroads of, of slave and and free state, and we have so many different migrations that went across here, we had wanted to digitize our newspapers and finally found the software and hmm. came home and talked about it, really pitched it, and got um, some state funding. And uh, some federal funding, and that's how it started back in about 2004. Wow! So other than that, you know, it was cranking the old microfilm machine, Oof. which means mm -hmm. none of this would be known. None of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, on a side note, we thank you from the bottom yes. of our hearts for helping be a part of of moving those archives online in in whatever capacity you played. Because Chris and I were just talking about this recently when we first started the podcast. Uh, just the first wave of digitizing had taken place till I think this I want to say what the mid early seventies in some cases, and boy it was it was so great when everything else came online. Just oh yeah. gosh, what was it four or five years ago maybe? Yeah. Um, but oh my gosh, it, it's been such an asset to us, and we encourage everybody to really uh, look into it because it's a great free resource that just has so many gems of history just waiting to be discovered. And uh, we can't thank you enough for helping yeah. be part of that charge. Well, you know, the first leg of it was extremely expensive. And it, we just went to 1870, I think it was. And Sounds then right. picked up the next leg. And then, you know, 
is mm. going on. But that we, you know, we had to work with the Herald Whig uh, because you know it's it's a public thing. The newspapers are public documents, mm-hmm. but still, um, there are a lot of little ins and outs to be to be worked on. So I'm thrilled that it's done, and we have great access. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, like we were, we just we have a a, a Patreon, a, a subscriber based uh, uh, stuff that we do, and we were just talking about that. That you know, a bonus episode, yeah, yeah, and a bonus episode about that. Just how how even us is is what we're doing. It would not be what it is without that database and that information. Yeah. So yeah, we we definitely appreciate it. So what one question, I guess. So based off your findings, I mean, like we said at the beginning, Chris and I were a bit overwhelmed at just all the stories. And, and frankly, a lot of them are very sad when it comes to this topic. A lot of them involve, you know, prostitutes trying to commit suicide or committing suicide. Carbolic acid was a huge uh, choice for suicide back then. Horrible mm. death, I gotta imagine. Or else it was a story about uh, you know divorces or just maybe you know the the I like the headlines you know two fairies were fighting out in front of their their uh, brothel. Um, there's so much of it. There's just so much of it. Uh, what, what what advice would you give us as we kind of use this episode as a jumping off point to kind of go further down the rabbit hole? When it comes to brothels, is there anything we should kind of keep our eyes eyes peeled for? Any specific names, or or uh, how how would how would you go about next if you had to break this down into chunks? I'm curious to get your thoughts. I guess I'm not sure how how you want to break it down. <laughs> That's where we're at right now. Doing it yeah. chronologically, or I don't know what you're thinking. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to address more than this, or you want to address less, but. You know, part of it is like one of the worst stories I think that I saw was about um, a young gal who um, got married in St. Louis and then they didn't have as much money as he wanted. So he brought her to Quincy, put her in a Bravo and said, you make enough money and then I'll come and get you and we'll go to Alaska. Oh, my. Wow. wow. This was a husband putting her in to make money. Wow. And then, fortunately, she got to the police, and her father was a doctor in St. Louis, and he immediately came and got her. He didn't know, you know, what yeah. was going on at all. But, I mean, God. you know, I think keeping in mind the fact that the social history is part of women's yeah. history. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and, um, any of the cases that speak to how things were, um, you know, just the the sentences against uh, women because they had no way out, you know, um, that's really difficult. And I think as a proponent of women's history um, and wanting to know more of that all the time that this it would be an interesting aspect that I would want to pursue. Hmm. Now, yeah. how much is available in that regard? How many, there were like, you could go, there were places down the river where some of the madams would have resting houses so that the oh. girls could go down there and they wouldn't have to work for maybe a week or two. Wow. And they, they called them resting houses. Hmm. Um, so there were some who were, you know, um, 
helpful to the girls, but they still they still kept them as property. And women were chattels, so a man could do whatever he wanted to mm. with um, with his wife or mm. or a daughter. Yeah. Or that so there's a, so many so many sad stories, and um, you know this is an overview of a midwestern city yeah. on the Mississippi River, and you know it's just a micro of all that has been out there uh, along the river, uh, maybe not with the consistency that Quincy had it over the years. Sure. But um, it's it's a, a cancer, so to speak. It was a cancer. Yeah. So I hate to get too serious, you know, with all this, but it's important to remember that particular aspect of it, you know. It's a truly, I mean, a lot of people like to kind of laugh about, you know, or, or reminisce about the idea of the vices and usually that kind of comes with a chuckle or a smile, but boy, you get into these stories and that fades pretty quickly and you realize just what a horrible situation a lot of these people were in. Uh, I did have one question about the dynamic of a brothel that I meant to ask earlier and it just slipped my mind. Uh, was, is, was it pretty standard practice for there to be one, maybe madam of the house? And was she more of like the supervisor and the, I guess the boss in certain terms, and then it was just inmates. How did that that social structure work? Is that pretty accurate? Well, if it was a house, you know, uh, of any size, it was a madam. Okay. Um, who you know, madams uh, treated their girls differently. Right. Uh, and they had favorites, and they had others they didn't like so well. Mm. Um, so that led to a whole lot of problems too, with women fighting women. Gotcha. And then, um, then there were taverns that had girls upstairs. And there's one story of a bartender who, um, oh, what was it? The, it was like she, the girl wanted a pack of cigarettes, and he said, "Well, that's that's you don't have that kind of money." He said, mm-hmm. "No, if you if you it was so much money for 20 minutes, and if you went longer than that." Then it was, you know, it was detracted from your pay. So, mm. so it was, it was punitive, I and mean, you never got ahead financially because you had to pay for your food, pay for your cigarettes, and so wow. on. Yeah, you were trapped. Uh, so it really was just, hmm. a vicious cycle. Yeah, you yeah. you were trapped. Yeah, and that's why so many died of consumption. So many, as you say, committed suicide. Right. Mm. Others were killed. You know taken places and killed if they were going to talk or whatever. Um, so it's it's a complicated history. And, you know, this is the very, very tip of the iceberg. And as with any history, you'll never know the real history, the yeah, real depth right. of yep. it, et cetera, et cetera. But let's get We certainly applaud you. I know to your earlier point, it's nice to it's, it's a lot of people want to look back at the the happy parts of history, but to your point, the three hundred and sixty view is the good with the bad, and I think a big part of Wild Quincy is trying to get some of that oral history or just kind of maybe maybe the lesser known histories. And so, uh, you know, thank you for all your work with the historical society and and with your own research, and for coming on and being a guest tonight. You really kind of set the set the bar on what we should expect and your your tips on search terminology were just hmm. good as gold when i started searching for inmate and resort i mean <laughs> the i think i had 50 pages of results and i finally got through them all i think yeah, i haven't read them all yeah. yet 
But uh, Iris Nelson, thank you so much um, for coming on. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome. I see you, and I will see you. <laughs> then I will see where you're going with all this, okay? I ask you. <laughs> we'll keep you up to date. We'll keep yeah. you up to date. It's, it's a big mountain right. to climb, but we'll yes. see if we can make a, start making some headway. Yeah. Okay, okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. We definitely do appreciate it. And that was a look at uh, brothels in Quincy. We'll be back with more after this on Wild Quincy. Here's something new. The sensation of 1948. It's the new, the amazing Black Flag Super Insect Spray. The most effective insecticide ever developed for general home use. Black Flag gives you five insecticides in one, including DDT and Chlordane, the newest insect killing agent. With Black Flag, you can get rid of flies, mosquitoes, ants, spiders, moths, roaches easily, quickly when used as directed. Use Black Flag as a spray against flying insects and use it to provide an invisible surface film to kill insects that crawl. Black Flag is wonderfully effective both ways. It gives you fast knockdown, quick kill, and a lasting effect. Don't put up with annoying insects this summer. Get rid of them fast with safe, easy-to-use Black Flag. Remember that name, Black Flag, at good stores everywhere. Black Flag is available in powder, liquid, and aerosol form. Travis, uh, I'm not sure it's real exciting or interesting uh, to listen to the commercial that you just listened to, but uh, it has a little background story. Yeah, well, do tell, do tell. Yes. So the reason we choose this, uh, chose I chose this uh, uh, thing is because um, the, there's some ingredients in this black flag back in the day that were not so good. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so you may have heard some of these DDT and Chloridane. I, I remember hearing it on it. the commercial. Yeah. Yeah. DDT, um, pretty much long story short, DDT was practically killing bald eagles. Really? Yeah. So it was really bad. And so was the Chloridine was very bad. Both of them ended up being eventually banned. DDT was banned in 1917 or 73, excuse me. And Chloridane, I think it's Chloridane is how they pronounce it, is in 1988. Um, but the reason why, and, and this stuff, and I'm reading some information about this, the this bug spray was flipping amazing okay let me tell you how amazing this stuff was it says there was a reason why black flag super insect spray was more effective than other insecticides it was the reason with strength in numbers in instance uh it just instead of just having one bug killing ingredient it had five in it Jeez. uh it had lithane prethium piperonol if i'm pronouncing that right uh, as well as ddt and chloridane and then buoxide uh they stated it was the newest killing agent at the time um this was so crazy that that chloridine alone or chloridane alone would kill any crawling insect 
at all. just kill them dead. I mean, it was just, anything that crawled, it would kill it. But they didn't stop there, Chris. They kept. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. since Black Flag insect spray contained those five different insecticides, uh, it just it did away with just about any pest known to mankind. Uh, what would happen? This is so crazy. This is this is why this is the paragraph that the reason why we're, we listen to that ad. Okay, it was sprayed with handy Black Flag sprayer both in the air and on surfaces, which means you could spray it in the air. And kill bugs, or you could spray it on a surface and kill bugs. Okay? No place is safe. You're screwed. Yeah, your that's exactly right. Um, in a matter of seconds, insects within the immediate area were kicking the bucket with astonishing speed. Okay, so it killed killed quick. Okay, killed bugs quick. But what it also did was that it would stay in the air, and it would kill insects for a long time after oh, <laughs> they were sprayed it. So it was in an aerosol can. You sprayed it, and like a solid five minutes later, bugs were still cr- flying into that space and dying dead. <laughs> Boy, that's effective. <laughs> exactly. Um, it was so strong. Uh, it says here, if the insects, uh, if the insects through black flag super insect spray wore off over a short period of time, there was to little surprise. Once it was sprayed again, it would keep killing other bugs. For those insects entering a sprayed area long after it originally applied, they also met their doom with dead insects all over the place the people who use black flag super insect spray enjoyed the summer months pest free however they had to get the broom and dust pan out quite a few times fair enough <laughs> so yeah you gotta, yeah you gotta think that can't be great to be breathing that in but yeah uh, right i mean if if it's killing bald eagles what's it doing it's to your not body helping i don't think it's exactly. not like your nummy vitamins no flintstone <laughs> kid situations yeah. right yeah Oof. it's just like ah uh, you know you kids these days, days are getting so sick and everything. I used to take hits Back. off Black Flag in the backyard doing the handstand. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's living well. I threw lawn darts with the other hand. Yeah. yeah. You guys are wimps. <laughs> Jeez. Back in my day, we used to spray that in each other's faces and laughed. And when it went um, uphill both ways. <laughs> aerosol cloud of death. <laughs> uh, hey, man, um, let's bring in the golden pipes. Oh, yeah. And now it's time for Words of Wisdom from Adams County. All right, time for the wit, wisdom, know-how of our forefathers and foremothers of Adams County. Travis, um, I was going to do some digging, and, and I could throw one of these out here. Um, what was uh, Iris uh, calling the? What was like the, the go-to for the prostitute names? What there was a name for him? What and you looked it up? Uh, what inmate. was the inmates? Inmate. Yeah. yeah. So evidently, inmate did not work in uh, Doctor Hyatt's book. Okay. Oh, really? So instead of it being inmate, it was always referred to as sporting woman. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Yeah. Still, there was soiled yeah. dove, sporting woman, yeah, naughty yeah. girl, fairies. I mean, it was yeah. There's lots of different names. There's a couple selections in here uh, of that was uh, referring to that. I think I've done this one before, but I'll do this one real quick. Never let anyone bring peanuts in your house in the shells. If you do, they are keeping money out of your house. Then it goes into a story. I was a, I was working as chairwoman in a sporting house years ago, and they would not let anyone in the house that had peanuts in their shells. Said that they would not be uh, bring any money coming into them, and if they let the peanuts in the house, so interesting. They, they didn't let people that had shelled peanuts come into the house. Only some nuts were allowed. 
<laughs> uh, the other one, real quick, uh, it's uh, eighty four eighty four. It says a sporty woman always burns something on Monday in her house, and says when she does it, it draws a crowd of men for her. And trade will be good for the rest of the week. Okay, so there's one for you. Uh, but uh, I wanted to go back. I said in the last episode I was going to. We had so many numbers and selections come in. Yeah from our uh, listeners so i wanted to throw one out there and i took the selection from buffy schultz another awesome name we were just talking off air how cool duke was yes i think buffy is right up there duke that's and buffy that's too. a power that'd, couple that'd be that well that'd be great kids names uh, here's no. duke and buffy they're, uh, they're gonna, doing great they're uh, not gonna get no participant trophy they're getting the real deal yeah right they're first Alpha place children. straight out the gate yeah exactly so she chose 70 7071 and so i wanted to give you what what that was so here's buffy's selection it says walk backwards nine steps on the first night of a new moon and reach behind you pick up anything that you touch place this beneath your pillow the next morning you will find there is a hair like that of your sweethearts. Words of wisdom from Adams County. Huh. <laughs> That's a long way to go for not a lot of payoff. Yeah. So we just know maybe the texture and color of who you're going to be. But I mean, you know, maybe you know, maybe maybe it's possible that your loved one might uh, actually already have a hair in the bed that you probably share with them. Oh. So that's weird that you need to do all that to confirm. Yeah, but, uh, just to confirm. You know what? I'm not going to yuck your yum, guys. You guys you guys do what you need to do to get that sweet hair. <laughs> Exactly. Hey, we're just trying to pass on the wisdom. So uh, thanks, Buffy, for that selection. Uh, we'll have more of those coming uh, your way down the road. Uh, Travis, uh, a couple things to finish up. One of those being the question of the day. Boy, you felt you, you seemed like you just had that confidence in you when we talked about this. So, uh, And you're still feeling it, I'm saying. I, I feel it in my very you, bones. You haven't started second-guessing yourself or anything yet? Not once. Okay, good. Okay, well, let, let's refresh real quick. Uh, Jesse James, train robber, all that stuff, outlaw, uh, was born and killed in Missouri in the 1800s. He did a lot of traveling through the Midwest and was known to visit the city of Hannibal. But how do we know that he actually visited the city of Hannibal? So I'll give you some choices here. Was he uh, robbing a stagecoach outside of town in 1879? He had family that lived here and would visit them often. His name was found on a wall inside the famous Mark Twain cave, or had he had a journal and wrote about his travels to Hannibal? Travis, let's see that confidence. Which one do you think it is? Well, Chris, um, if you've ever headed towards Oklahoma on Route 44, uh, you've noticed the Merrimack Caverns, and Mm -hmm. they have a lot of claims, and one of the many is about Jesse James. And although they have a lovely... uh, statues and mannequins depicting a scene of Jesse James in the Merrimack Caverns, they have no actual historical proof. They have no signature. The same cannot be said about our very own Mark Twain cave, which absolutely has the signature of Jesse James in it, proving that he was very well there. There you go. Wow, Travis. Not only did you have the correct answer, but you had a backstory. And I promise you people, he did not know the question beforehand. <laughs> In all fairness, if you toured the cave anytime, they, they yeah. usually kind of lean on that fact because most caves can't claim they have it. So they, they make sure yeah. they get it in there. I will say uh, some little fun fact. If you live in the city, Hannibal, it only costs like $5 to go through the cave. You just have to show them that you're what you're that you live in town. <clears throat> 
in uh, do its we have, Do we have any cave people uh, like uh, who are associated with the, the Mark Twain cave listening? Any, any, if you do. Ooh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we'd love to chat about this topic of our next episode, which I think you were teasing, Chris. Why don't you tell us why we were talking about caves? Well, we're talking about Mark Twain cave because I believe your next episode that we're going to talk about is a former owner of Mark Twain Cave, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. We're talking old school. This was uh, early days of the Mark Twain Cave in the, gosh, I want to say it was in the 18, uh, 1820s, 1830s, 40s maybe. Uh, talking about, if you go on the tour of the Mark Twain Cave, you may or may not remember a slight little story about some crazy doctor keeping his dead daughter in a coffin in in a side wing that you don't get to go down on the tour but they often point down that way well that has always piqued my interest and so i thought you know what let's let's take a big th- take a thing here that's been different from us from in the past on wild quincy we pretty much like to stay on the east side of the mississippi we decided let's go go west young boy and we decided to skip the river and we're talking about the man who owned the cave for a slight while, besides storing his dead body, his dead daughter's gray, uh, body there in a vat of alcohol, he also kept cannons um, because he also had cannons. He was a doctor who actually lived in <laughs> Just Missouri. He, he needed cannons. Well, I mean, there's yeah. boy. We'll get to it. And he, this is a wild <laughs> story. He didn't live in Hannibal per se, although he was. It seems like he was uh, had some family there in some of the uh, uh, early Hannibal natives. So he was no stranger to Hannibal. When he bought the cave, quite created quite the stir with his dead body uh, of his daughter being in the cave for a while. And we're going to talk about Dr. Joseph McDowell. Most people call him mad Dr. Joseph McDowell. We'll examine the fine line that exists between genius and insanity, I think. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned for this one. It's going to, be, it's going to put the, a capital W, maybe a second W, on Wild, uh, wild Hannibal. <laughs> we're going Wild Hannibal next week, guys. Yeah, our first unexplained episode uh, that uh, jumps the river, if you will, and uh, first time ever, like you said, Travis, jumping the river and, and talking about a subject in America's hometown. And, we'll see if Missouri, they accept so. us or if they run us out of town, Chris. Yeah, who knows? Uh, we'll have to see. So <laughs> uh, that's coming up uh, your way, guys, in two weeks. I'll be checking that. And of course, we got our Patreon episode going to be coming your way next week for you wild things. Uh, Travis, before we wrap things up for this episode, though, are we missing? anything again we just really want to give the biggest thanks to iris nelson who was able to come on today and this episode and really give us a great overview of brothels and quincy it's going to set the stage for you and i to both do a lot of more research and probably feature a regular uh, episode per season here for a while on uh, the activity and uh, specifics of various brothel information so thanks so much iris we really appreciate yes. it and we appreciate you the listener uh, let us know how you're doing out there. Tell a friend about us. Give us a shout on the socials or the email, wildquincy at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Yeah, for sure. Well, for Travis Hoffman and I'm Chris Ketters, you've been listening to Wild Quincy. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Wild Quincy is released every other Tuesday and is produced by Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Sound designed by Downdraft Sound and Editing and music by Travis Hoffman Music. I'm Bo Beecraft, and thanks for listening to Wild Quincy. Wild Quincy.